Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to the PH Nutrition Podcast. I'm Coach Chloe and today I'm delighted to be joined by Coach Harriet. Hey Harriet, how is it going? Hey Chloe, yeah, I'm going really well, thank you. How are you doing? Good, amazing. I'm good, I'm good. I'm off on holiday, so I'm on holiday mode at the moment, you know, when you're just like, everything is exciting and fun. Uh, So yeah, so I'm super excited to be having a little chit chat with you today. Uh, So today we're going to talk, going to just have a little little girls conversation time um, about relationship with food and diet culture. Because this is something that we both talk about a lot in our Instagram. We talk about a lot with clients and it's something that's super, super important to kind of spread awareness of because we found that a lot of us, you know, and a lot of our clients have picked up various disordered eating habits over the years. And it's something that we see, you know, a lot of. So we want to discuss that and just have a really honest conversation about it today. So first things first, we're just going to go on uh, the background that we we see with clients, with people bringing up issues around disordered eating habits and relationship with food. So first thing to talk about is kind of the impact of diet culture that we've seen on ourselves and on our clients and our friends and family and stuff like that. And, you know, where our maybe disordered eating habits can come from and where our views on what we're eating can come from. Uh, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the way we talk about food. I think that's a great place to start is just the way we talk about it and the way we hear about other people talking about it. So Harriet, do you want to kick us off with going through a little bit about things you've kind of noticed over your own life about the way we talk about food and how that impacts your relationship with food? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's so many things we could be talking about, which I know we're going to go into. But one of the things that I find uh, is something that pops up with my clients, but also popped up with myself was experiencing a a poor relationship with food was kind of labeling foods as good and bad and healthy and unhealthy. And I see it so commonly within my clients now that when I get someone signing up and they'll say like, you know, what foods do you like? What foods do you dislike? And they'll say, oh, well, I like chocolate, but I know this is a bad food. And I'm like, no, it's not bad. Like we really need to focus on like restructuring how we think about food instead of just 
like simply putting it in a category of good and bad, which has become really normalized, which is really, really sad. Like, I think the the really scary thing is that we are normalizing this type of behavior and we have to, and even including myself, like I have to check myself sometimes to just make sure that I'm not getting back into that mindset. Certainly with my clients, it's about educating them that food and nutrient or food is more than just you know, good and bad, or it's more than just fuel, which is often what people sometimes see it as, as as well. It's it's comfort, it's it's love, it's affection, it's it's about socializing as well. Like there's so much more in just educating ourselves on on the importance of that. It's really, yeah, a key component of any nutritional program, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that the way we've kind of labeled foods as good or bad, and it's not just we do it, I think, automatically in our heads. And we also see it on you know advertising restaurants things like that I I, th- I can't remember where it was I think it was around Christmas I was at Tesco and they had like a a Christmas menu in their cafe and it was like naughty treat and it's like just things like just words like that putting that on a menu next to a hot chocolate people go oh it's a treat I can't have it all the time it's not something I should be having I'm naughty if I have this like using words like that and it's just so throwaway because it's it's normal for people to do that we do it ourselves I think one of my I was doing check-ins yesterday and one of my clients used the word like, oh, I felt guilty for having a donut or something. And it's like, and she just, she just mentioned it in conversation. Like she probably wasn't feeling really guilty about it. It was a pretty positive check-in, but it's just those words that we just throw into conversation without realizing it. Uh, And we see it all over the place. And the problem is that we, you know, we associate foods with words that we see as bad, right? Because we have words that are good things and words that are bad things. And if we keep using those kind of bad words around food, then we associate food with with bad. And there's no good or bad. It's just just food. There's just different types of food and different, you know, makeups of macros and calories and all this kind of stuff, isn't there? The problem with with the the language around food is we carry it over to our own body as well and we start to kind of align those more negative words with food around negative words with our body. And this is something I see with clients is people saying that they've had like a, they feel big or they feel heavy or they're too heavy because they've had like a bar of chocolate and they go, well, you know, I ate a lot more over the weekend. I had lots of chocolate and now I've, I'm not surprised that my weight's gone up. And it's like, it's kind of just aligning these kind of negative ideas about our body. And, you know, even if your weight does go up after a weekend of having food, it shouldn't be a reason to kind of feel bad about yourself or anything like that. Um, so it's just kind of watching where we use the language and, and what we associate it with as well. Uh, in terms of like how we view our bodies and words we use around our bodies in relation to food, is this something you've experienced with clients as well or yourself? Yeah, I think, as you said, like there's a lot of mention around like feeling the the language of like feeling heavy and, and not feeling great about myself. And the interesting thing actually is that this tends to occur around the weekend period when there's typically more socializing involved or more events going on. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely does pop up. And it's something that I've certainly experienced in the past, you know, my disordered eating and, and eating disorder at, at one point, just as you said, like creating these associations with negative, negative connotations, and then bringing that into my body, and then constantly looking at my body. in yeah, there's a really negative light, which as a result impacts so much more than just you, but it impacts things like your social experiences, like how you interact with your friends, how you interact with family, um, how you interact on just a day to day basis, whether you were working from home or in the office. And 
it really can just start to deteriorate your overall health and well-being without you actually maybe intentionally noticing like a lot of it happens slowly and gradually and then suddenly you'll be in this really dark low pit and you're like okay I really need to get myself out of this but yeah it's it's something that we want to nip in the bud as quickly as possible or at least address those issues and where they've come from but we're battling against so so much in terms of the diet culture industry like it a lot of people say diet culture like we just live in this culture I don't really see that we at the moment there's a I struggle to see the other part aside from diet culture because there's just so much out there obviously as us us nutritionists we're doing our job and our best job but we're constantly fighting against it and it's so challenging and I really do empathize and yeah it can be so compassionate towards individuals struggling with their with their health and their relationship with food because it is so difficult yeah it is i think we've all i think our generation we've all kind of grown up with this with this ideal like looking in magazines and seeing people of a certain weight or body shape and stuff and there's nothing wrong with any body shape or type like we're not trying to demonize a different body type to our own it's just that you know we kind of look at it things like perhaps losing weight being smaller being skinnier is is kind of praised and it was glorified a lot like growing up Uh, so I think that's probably an area that we kind of get a lot of that from and I remember like similar to kind of you like personally kind of like I would have times where I would maybe not feel as worthy if I was larger uh, like I wasn't worthy of I don't know what um you know anything in society just because I was large in a larger body Uh, and I think when that happens you kind of associate that with you know, perhaps eating certain foods and you think, oh, well, because I'm eating this food, then, you know, I, I don't deserve to, I don't know, do whatever or, or be worthy of anything. So it is kind of that as well. Uh, and, you know, that kind of idea of of having to fit a certain body shape or type does stop you from enjoying things like social events, like you said, with your friends and stuff, because you're so worried about eating certain foods. You think, oh, well, you know, if I, if I gain weight, I'm not going to be, um, you know, valued in society kind of thing isn't it so it does kind of turn into that and we place so much value on how our body looks and we have this fear of of being you know we kind of seem to end up with this fear of gaining weight or being different or our body changing and yeah it kind of it's not just about the food it's about our bodies and everything and you know we could kind of go down a a very long rabbit hole with talking about how we see our bodies and things like that as well Uh, a big thing I think in terms of social events and looking at it kind of from a diet culture under eating overeating type thing as well is is how people go out and socialize and then maybe restrict food around social events as well that's something that we see quite a lot of what's kind of one of the problems we might see with clients with restricting food before and after going out is that something you see a lot of as well yeah it's it's a question I get a lot saying like you know should I be restricting if I've overeaten or like if they've had a weekend where they consider it to be quote unquote a blowout like they're like well what shall I do next like I feel like I've completely ruined everything and the first thing I always remind all my clients is that what you do on average is the most important thing and also remind them that actually when we look to create a healthy and sustainable lifestyle we must incorporate all aspects of health and health just doesn't come down to your physical health it comes down to your mental health and your social well-being as well so being able to go out and enjoy yourself and socialize and spend time with the people that you love 
is a very important aspect of that. So if that involves going out and having food and feeling comforted and happy, then we should we should relish that and really kind of take that in to account as opposed to seeing that as a negative. Because again, like thinking back, like nutrition and food is, is so much more than just fuel and, you know, calories in versus calories out. It's so much more, but we tend to forget that because of all of the, the negative connotations that diet culture provides to us. But certainly, as I said, like the initial thing is just reminding ourselves that what we do on average really matters. A couple of days a week or even like a meal is not going to deteriorate your overall progress. And there's more to life than just following a nutrition plan. And then with that being said, what we tend to see is that if you do follow this kind of restriction, you will either overeat at that meal or occasion when you're going out because you've restricted so much that you're now craving foods, you're depriving yourself. Or if you find that you've, you know, had your meal out and you restrict the next day, you will then find that later on in the week or even later on in the day in the afternoon that you will start again overeating. And this is just a evolutionary response to what we consider to be famine. If you're not eating and you're not eating enough to facilitate physiological functioning, then your body is going to start switching things up and it will go into this drive mode, survival mode, and it will want to eat more food because that will help us survive from an evolutionary point of view. Now, it's only short term, but if you were to consider this on a a longer term basis, this is where we tend to see things like eating disorders occur and also disordered eating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, we've a lot of us because we've ended up kind of under eating, overeating around trying to factor in going out for meals and having things that we perhaps have been told that are treats and guilt and we should feel guilty about having and things like that. You know, that kind of ends up leading us into those kind of disordered eating patterns because we are falling into restriction and binging cycles. Like, you know, if we think about the amount of time that we might have spent the amount of times in our life we've gone out for a meal with friends and family and we haven't been present in the moment because we've been thinking more about the weight we're going to be on the scale the next morning or the impact that, you know, a a bit of extra avocado is going to have on our body. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like the amount of time we've probably spent worrying more about that than being in the moment. Because like you said at the beginning, you know, food is, I think I agree that yes, food is fuel, obviously. Uh, And a lot of people say, well, it doesn't, you know, food is not there for kind of any kind of emotional value. But I would disagree with that. I think food is celebration. It is culture. It's part of our heritage. Like I've spoken to people that have restricted foods that were part of their culture because they thought they were bad for them, like things like olive oil and, and chocolate and like, you know, pasta and things like that, that they've had from as part of their heritage. And they just have chosen not to eat because they think it's a bad food, even though they've missed out on kind of celebrations and things. But uh, in terms of the restriction and binging, this is something that we see a lot of and not just in an extreme way, but in kind of like a more moderate way with clients um, and, you know, probably ourselves as well is is just a slight restriction. So thinking, oh, well, I won't quite eat all of this food because I'm sure at the weekend I'll be eating more. And even this kind of little mindset can, you know, cause bigger problems down the line as well. Obviously, we have very extreme, like you mentioned about kind of fasting and then binging later on. We have that extreme version, but then we also have people being like, oh, well, I just I'll just skip that and I'll just skip that and I won't choose to have this when you actually do want it. And I think ignoring those cues on hunger, that's the kind of thing that will end up biting us in the butt later on. Uh, I was having a look at a review when we were kind of prepping this podcast and was reading about kind of restriction and, and food rewards. So obviously this this is all psychological, isn't it? And it's all based on, you know, hunger, hormones, you know, neurotransmitters and things like that. And 
there's been a lot of studies over the years, like some very famous ones on on rewards. Uh, you know, there's the studies with lots, or there's always studies on rats, but there's studies on the dog with the bell and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, how we salivate at the bell because he knows the food's coming. But there's quite a lot of things about how restriction of food in both rats and humans could lead to kind of more uh, intense reward responses in the brain. So I, I think there was one, it looked, a study looked at the reward response in patients with anorexia and it found that giving them sucrose, they had a more pronounced activation of, I'm going to butcher this word, the orbitofrontal contact, uh, yet cortex, which is an area of the brain associated with reward and value. And that area of their brain lit up a lot more when they'd been restricting. And obviously there's always loads of studies in rats, but again, in the rats and stuff, they've seen so much more reward value in their brains from when they've been restricted more, when they eat some more food. And it does seem to come across like in all these studies that the more we restrict, the more reward we get out of having food after so if you are restricting more and then you're eating more you kind of fall into like this kind of binge uh, this bigger binge because you get so much more reward out of it it's like more of a hit so we can kind of see that the more we restrict food the more we have those those binge episodes the more it kind of gives us a little bit of a a push for a little bit of time and we're maybe on a bit of a high and then perhaps when we kind of fall into that restrict, we want that high again. So we can really see how we can fall into those cycles quite easily. And it does really carry over. Like I, I've definitely been in the past, I've been in binge and restrict cycles. And I know that, you know, when you've, you've restricted for so long and then you do end up binging on food that you haven't had, it's like, it's like Christmas and you just feel incredible. And then you get such a low when you, when you're like, oh, now I feel horrendous and I'm going to restrict my food again. So you know, we kind of fall down these these rabbit holes. I mean, it's something that we've both personally kind of dealt with. I know that restricting specific foods for me, like when I was living abroad and I was training CrossFit all the time, I restricted, I didn't have any sugar. That's always a big one. I mean, and I was eating sugar because I was having carbs. I wasn't having refined sugars. I wasn't going out with friends for meals because I was so worried about what would be in the in the food. I didn't have any alcohol. There was one time I wouldn't add any fats to my meals at all. And the more you do that and you kind of have these rules against food, the more you do when you do start to have those foods again, it's like it's like your body has been given something, you know, that it just needs to have more and more of. And that's when you kind of fall into those cycles. And you kind of just don't ever feel full again once you start eating those foods. It's like your body's been missing out for so long and then you get those things yeah. back, you get a taste for them, don't you? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think when I when I had my eating disorder, which lasted for about four years during my recovery phase, it was about the foods that I'd cut out of my diet. And these were things, again, like similar to you, like kind of carbohydrates, it'd be things like peanut butter because I used to be obsessed with it. And still am. I've, I've now built that relationship, a better relationship. But what what I want to kind of get from this is that during that recovery process, I actually started engaging in more kind of like binge eating behaviors purely on the fact that I was introducing those new foods back into my diet. And it was a really challenging time. And I think, because, you know, it is such a big challenge that to do it on your own can be really difficult and I think it made me realize, and you know, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because 
I understand how challenging it was for me in such a you know difficult period to start introducing that and I, I wouldn't expect anyone to want to do that by themselves like it, it's it wasn't a fun process but having someone around you who can support you through it and you know tell you that everything will be okay like we're going to work through this together was such a a benefit to me in that time that yeah it was really really helpful but yeah, I think going back to, to what you said before, it, it's quite ironic because we know what we're doing in terms of like I've spoken to friends before and they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't eat before with this meal and now I've overeaten. Like they acknowledge what's going on, but it's really hard for them to get out of that cycle. And it goes back to that kind of reward system there. And it's the same with binge eating. If you take it to the extreme, like it's really hard because there's always going to be that reward system where we need to kind of try and break it or at least manage it a little bit better. And often you need a support system around you to help you with that. And that's where either specialist support from psychiatrists and, and specialist nutritionists, or if it's more on a, let's say, a more uh, a less intense basis, like working with someone like yourself or myself to just help you build that better relationship with food. But, you know, working with someone can be so beneficial for that. Yeah, definitely. I think it can be, I don't think we realise how difficult it is to actually come out the other side, like actually eating more food is more challenging than yeah. often than not. Because when you're in that space of being like, well, I'm I'm going to eat this amount of calories a day, I'm not going to eat that and I'm going to eat this and nothing else. It's not, it's not easy, but you, you don't have variety and flexibility and the ability to have more food and honour your hunger signals because you're just in this black and white mindset of, well, I don't have anything else than this. But when you suddenly start having more food and you can pay attention to your hunger, it becomes very difficult because the more food you start to add in, the more your body responds, you know, food is used well by the body, you do start to get more hungry. So it's very challenging going from the ability to be able to eat more and being like, well, I am trying to work on eating more and then not falling into a pattern of eating and eating and eating and eating until you get to that point where you're like, okay, well, now I've overdone it a little bit. So it does become very, becomes really challenging to actually listen to your hunger signals. I think because we, one of the biggest problems is that we stop listening to our hunger signals somewhere down the line and we forget what hunger actually feels like and how it should feel when we're full and when we're satisfied and because they're all out of whack when we come when they come back it's just it's just so hard to to manage isn't it and I think that's why like you mentioned it's so important to have support or just be aware of the feelings and I think like journaling things like I always used to kind of write everything down all the time like how I was feeling about things and foods I had in how comfortable it made me feel that kind of stuff and I found that really made a big difference as well so I think just being aware of it and, and knowing okay I'm going to be more hungry I need to be aware of these things can make a difference so yeah definitely having the support there is 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 so important so if we were going to, I mean, the main thing we kind of want to obviously get to people here is that it, you can improve your relationship with food. Uh, you know, it can be done and you can make big changes. And I think the biggest thing to put out there to start is that it is a skill. It is a learning process. Like you don't just suddenly go, I'm fine. Because I mean, I'm sure people have said that to you. I thought, I thought you were fine now. Like I thought you could have this now. And people don't understand that it actually takes time to kind of get to a better place with it but it is a skill and so we're always going to be practicing it and learning it like I think it's like you with your weightlifting right you're always practicing your weightlifting sometimes you fail a snatch okay and that's fine it doesn't mean you've gone back to square one you just maybe aren't going to do the snatch the same way that time or you're going to come back to it 
try something a bit different and then you will get it the next time. So I think with relationship with food, it's important to remember that there are going to be times when you are perhaps going to fall into an old habit or maybe overeat or maybe restrict something. And it's okay because it's part of the learning process, right? So perhaps you could talk to us a little bit about the mindset um, as well behind improving relationship food. Like how would you kind of approach that? Yeah, I mean, just to add on to that point as well, like I do want to really emphasize again from that personal experience that failure is a part of that process. And especially when it came to my relationship with food, I had to fail multiple times and got into binge eating episodes before I actually then regained my relationship with food. And I think that's so important, especially if you're someone listening who does have, you know, a really challenging or poor relationship with food. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be really hard and you will fail at points. But bear in mind that that failure isn't you failing you know, everything. It's just you learning from that experience. Treat it as an experience, as you said, build on it, reflect on it, and then it will create a better action plan for the future. But that kind of helps me understand and shift my mindset as well. Beforehand, I was in such a restrictive mindset. It was like, as you said before, black or white, like it's going to be this or it's going to be that. It took me a while and I started to kind of focus on the bigger picture and, and curate a growth mindset whereby Again, I was assessing and looking at food in a as a bigger picture. I was, as you said, journaling and thinking about how is it making me feel? How is this particular event made me respond to food? The more I explored how food was making me feel internally and externally, how it was impacting my relationship with people as well, the better my mindset became because I was understanding then like, actually, this is making me feel really good. I want to engage in that more. And that's where that growth mindset kind of is curated. It's like, where do you feel positive? Let's explore those aspects a little bit more. And let's move forward into those as opposed to holding ourselves back into that restrictive mindset. So exploring, analyzing and evaluating were three really important components of going from a restrictive mindset to a more growth mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I... I find sometimes like you have to kind of sit and look back and think about that cheesy thing, how far you've come. But it's so true because sometimes you think I was actually talking to one of my girls this morning about this and how I think one of the things with overeating used to be like a feeling of hunger would give me a bit of a panic feeling. And then the panic would lead to an overeating, even though I was just hungry and it's normal to be hungry. Uh, but then sometimes you kind of look back and I was thinking, oh, well, I actually haven't binged in a very long time. And the binging episodes do get further and further apart. And, you know, I've got clients that have spoken to me and they're like, oh, it's been this many days since I actually overate or binged or whatever and the days become further apart and they become longer and the binge episodes and perhaps it doesn't become a binge maybe it just becomes a bit of overeating sometimes because there is a there's a big difference isn't there between a full-on binge and just overeating a little bit and people say oh well I you know oh my god I had an extra couple of biscuits and I'm like yeah but you didn't go and eat three packs of biscuits like it's it's like these tiny wins and you've got to just take those tiny tiny wins mm. And even just being aware of what you're doing when you're doing it is a win and being like, okay, well, I'm doing this better luck next time. I'll, you know, it's fine. It's okay. And don't be mean to yourself because we do, do end up being, being super mean to ourselves and falling into a spiral. I think if you don't spiral, that's again, another win, isn't it? So, yeah. um, 
so let's kind of put together some like some action points that people can specifically follow because obviously it is very mindset focused which is you know is such a broad thing people can journal to think about it a lot but in terms of specific things people can implement as well Harriet what's your kind of first action point you would put across yeah I think one and again this is kind of from a personal perspective but I also do think a lot of people can resonate to this diet culture comes from what we see and what we hear about on social media 99% of the time so when I wanted to create a better relationship with food I knew that I had to let's say create a platform that made me feel positive as opposed to negative so I went through a complete social media detox and I do really, really advocate this to anyone who just wants to start fairly small and simple in regards to making changes because it's something that you're in control of. Uh, I recently had a client as well who I, I recommended doing this and I said, look, like go through your social media, whoever, whatever posts make you feel any way uncomfortable or negative, just delete or block them even if unfortunately like even if it is your close friends and family like you have to make sure that you're prioritizing yourself and especially at a time where you're trying to build a better relationship with food like you are your number one priority and if those around you or or even you know influencers aren't supporting you in that process like you need to you need to get rid of them and just put those those points in place but I mean, in short, like social media detox, like remove people that make you feel negative, remove anything that's kind of associated with kind of fat loss or dieting or or just predominantly just pushing that 24 seven would be my best bet. And also like putting things in place, like setting yourself some boundaries as well when it comes to how much time you spend on social media and who you're interacting with as well is very important. And and making sure that the people that you do trust and that are closest to you are aware of what you're trying to do because it can be quite challenging in a diet culture society that they'll have there'll be conversations that pop up that can be quite triggering for you so I think making people around you aware that actually I'm I'm really trying to do this and I would really love you to support me through this could we consider setting some boundaries or some like let's say keywords that we kind of avoid can be really useful and I know that sounds really like silly like when you think about it but actually if you put it into place it makes such a big difference I cannot even explain but yeah social media like detoxing is something I do on a monthly basis now I just sit there scroll through no it's not for me anymore bye-bye and really being strict with yourself as well really strict with yourself how about you Chloe yeah no I really like that it's it's so true I think there's so many points in there the social media detox is is amazing because we get so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing and looking like and lifting and doing and whatever and it does impact us without us even realizing it like even if we are whether aware of it or not it is making an impact on us the one where you said as well about other people using language around food I think is so is so good because also it makes other people realize that they're doing it as well they're using certain words around food and it's such a good practice to be in I actually want to expand on that because one of the biggest things I find is and I've spoken to this about clients and this is something I've done for myself as well is the people and what other people say about food and how those people make you feel around food there's you're gonna have those experiences and personally like when I came out of competition prep 
uh, I found it quite hard to introduce some foods back in. Like I've spent quite a few years working on my relationship food and then I did competition prep. And obviously that's not the kind of thing is that is the best idea to do after you've kind of had some disordered eating habits. But it ha- actually made a massive difference to helping me kind of learn a lot more about myself and stuff. But still coming out of a prep was quite challenging into off season. And one of the first meals I really wanted was a roast dinner. And I had a roast dinner and there was someone at the table who kept commenting on every single thing I ate. Every time I took another roast potato, they would go, oh, another potato. And I'm sure you'll understand how challenging that can be. And those people are not the kind of people you want to sit and eat a meal with, are they? So what I do is when I'm going out for a meal that potentially like I find a bit challenging, like for some reason, I still have a thing about burgers. I don't know why, but I do make myself go for a burger every now and then. I will go with like my boyfriend or my best friend who make me feel comfortable eating those foods. Go out for meals. If you're feeling like worried about going out for a meal or even just having a particular food at home, have it in the company of someone that makes you feel good. Have it in the company of someone that makes you feel comfortable. Because when you're stressed around food or you're in a state of like heightened emotion, you are much more likely to, it's, you kind of lose a bit of focus. You feel a bit panicked. And that's where we tend to eat without noticing or eat something that doesn't make us feel good or overeat. And I think if you're in an environment with someone that makes you feel comfortable, you eat slower, you eat mindfully, you enjoy the food, you're enjoying the experience. So it does make a massive difference there being in the company of certain people and these people know you they know that you might have certain things that don't make you feel good and they won't pressure you to maybe eat something or they won't pressure you to get a certain food or the way they talk about food is great like my best friend she is wonderful and she knows me so well and when we go out for food it's like she's like looking after me while we're going out for food and it (laughs) makes all the difference so just having those people that make you feel your best like don't bother with anyone that doesn't like if anyone ever comments that you're eating another potato be like go away (laughs) so yeah yeah Uh, I point as well though it's uh it is important and I understand it's not everyone perhaps has the confidence to do it but be willing to pull people up on that as well like if you feel confident enough to say to someone actually you know I really don't appreciate you making those comments like it's not going to work for everyone but those people who are kind of engaging in that kind of diet culture language or might not even they might not even know that they're doing it that's the thing that's because we're living in this culture if they don't know sometimes it just takes someone to say actually you know I, I don't appreciate that comment or that's really unhelpful for me and I find that quite triggering like that can also be not only really helpful for you but also helpful for the other individual understanding that that might actually be negatively impacting someone else so that does take a little bit more confidence to be able to to do that but if you can yeah like chuck that in like pull them up on it and be like that's that's not comfortable with me it doesn't sit right with me yeah absolutely uh, yeah it's uh, that's takes a lot of a lot of uh, to do that doesn't it um mm-hmm. okay so another I, I guess i never along that note is like making a list of kind of fear foods or foods that you are like no way that's a either something you've restricted in the past something you've never allowed yourself to have something that you see and it maybe causes you to feel a little bit of anxiety or something like that making a list of those foods and just kind of choosing the ones that you're happy to kind of tackle because some of them are going to be bigger than others like going out for big meals some of them like I, one common one I hear a lot of with clients is cheese I know cheese is something that we've demonized from somewhere. And actually for me, quite a while, I was like 
cottage cheese and anything. Cottage cheese on pasta. Cheesy pasta is one of the best things ever as well. No way. Uh, so making a list of those. I know, honestly, I was like, no, no cheese. Uh, so making a list of things that you uh, you can try having and just starting with a tiny bit of one of those foods. So something I've done with a couple of clients is we've just been like, okay, what's the easiest food to tackle? And just have like a tiny serving with a meal and just eat it slowly, eat it mindfully. Think about how it makes you feel like note any thoughts coming in any intrusive thoughts and it's kind of a bit of like a meditation really you note the thought and you go okay I'm gonna let that thought go I'm gonna note it's there and I'm gonna move on and it's kind of just doing that and adding those foods in one at a time I think that's quite a good easy it's like not an easy fix but it's something simple that you can kind of start with straight away I think yeah, I know you do that really well with your clients because you, you speak about that a lot. And I think it's really useful. I think the other thing that can be really helpful is identifying the perhaps triggers of under eating or overeating as well. I often hear people say, I, I'm overeating or I've eaten too much out of boredom. And I'm like, is it boredom or is it something else? I think it's so easy for us to just go straight to the easy let's say it's, it's not even an excuse but just the, the easy option say oh, I'm just bored that's why I'm like it it's not boredom we're going to explore this this further and when you delve a little bit deeper and you start opening up that uh, that question a little bit more it really does get so much deeper and it could be something from and, and the thing is we don't know like we put it to boredom because we don't we, we're not willing to explore it like no one wants to explore it by themselves because it's a scary experience but you go deeper and you find out that actually there's something really stressful going on in the home life at the moment or you know you've got a work deadline and it's causing a lot of anxiety like there's there's so much more that we don't and are scared of exploring but again when you have that support system around you it makes such a big difference and I think if if you're a nutritionist or a practitioner listening like you probably know and understand that your job isn't just a nutritionist it's there to listen and to support and almost like guide them through you know the these events as well because it is like it plays psychology plays such a big role in our food and our, our food choices but going back to to kind of the main point there is understand what the principal trigger is don't just say I'm bored go further like reflect on that further and find the pinnacle point because when you find the pinnacle point you can then start creating an action plan to prevent it or at least manage it in the future yeah definitely that's that's so true I really like that one as well uh, I think that another point that we've got there that would tie in quite well with that is that as well like there's going to be perhaps like times and events that are maybe more triggers as well so for example like at the weekend if you're on your own on like a Saturday evening and you feel lonely and you're like okay well now I'm going to end up eating one thing I've kind of spoken to my clients about and one thing I try to do myself is is go out and enjoy a food at a completely different time so for example if you're like Saturday night is the is when you're on your own you're feeling lonely is when you're like oh I'm going to have some ice cream or a cake instead of waiting till Saturday night when you're going to feel like that go out on a Tuesday for a lunchtime date with your mum and have a coffee and a cake. Like start to make those foods part of normal life where you can, because then it takes away it being like a trigger or something that you end up doing by accident or something that's off limits until you feel a certain way. Like, you know, I, that's something that I've gotten a lot of my girls to kind of implement. They say about, you know, I've got one client, she was like, oh, well, I went out for a cake with my daughter on a on a Wednesday lunchtime and it was the best thing I'd done in ages. And it's just so lovely to do that. And for her as well, her daughter is going to appreciate that because 
had you know we have to teach the next generation of girls that it's okay to go for coffee and cake on a Wednesday morning as well not just on a Saturday night when we feel a bit low uh, okay and then I think we've got a couple more haven't we so one thing I do want to just throw in as well that I is really important is be mindful about the words you use on your body because we've spoken a lot about the words we use around food but I when I get my clients to check in photos sometimes I hear the words I look horrendous. I look fat. And I, like you said about us not just talking about food, the number of voice notes I have sent going, take it back. Do not say that about your body. And I'm like, reframe it straight away. I, there is absolutely one of the biggest things for me has been not allowing myself to talk crap about my body. Like if I hear myself in my head, going oh you're looking a bit I don't know I'm like no 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 and I have to catch myself and stop myself from doing it but one of the biggest things you can do for yourself is if you ever hear yourself using a negative word about your body whether you write it down in your check-in sheet to your coach whether you write it on a text to a friend as a joke even as a joke it's not okay to talk about your body like that because these things stick other people hear it your kids hear it if you just throw away a comment like oh god I look fat that is not the kind of thing you should be saying or you should other people should hear you saying about your body. Instantly reframe it. Like the biggest thing I say is like have something to say that is that's going to like completely reframe it. I have a thing I say to myself and I say, you are a badass bitch. And I will say that as soon as I hear myself saying anything bad about my body. And it's just me. Sometimes I sit in the car and say it out loud, but it does work and it does make a difference. You've just got to reframe it. So watch the words used about your body because that also carries over to everything else as well. I don't know if that's something you ever, you ever do, Harriet. <laughs> no, it, it, it is definitely. I think it's important to create an identity for yourself that you create the person that you want to be. And by speaking badly about yourself and saying negative things about yourself, you're never going to identify with who you truly want to be. So I think, yeah, it's important to hold yourself accountable for the words that you use for yourself. And as you said, that will also influence how people see and view you. Uh, and yeah, just make sure that you create an identity for you that you love and that is for you only, no one else. Uh, and yeah, you use the appropriate language for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's so true. And because I, I think if you, because we do, you know, like we said at the beginning, as we associate as if we end up associating foods as you know a bad bad connotation when we feel bad about ourselves we're going to turn to those more as well um, i remember reading a study like a couple of years ago actually it was ages ago and they were saying about how people that were told that they had less value were more likely to overeat and binge and eat choose foods that they saw as bad as well which i think is is interesting uh, okay, I think uh, we've got w one more point on here and about seeking professional help as well. Have you got any kind of pointers on that one, Harriet? Yeah, I, I mean, look, from someone who went from disordered eating to a full blown eating disorder, the best thing I did for myself was seek professional help and support. It wasn't something that I wanted to do um, initially because it's a hard process just committing to it and giving it a chance was the best thing that I ever did. And I don't think I'd be who I am today doing the job that I, I do right now if I hadn't sought that professional support. And I know how challenging it is in the UK at the moment to get that support via the NHS. So, um, you know, I, I do understand that there are lots of other avenues that we can take or you can take to support your process um, as well. But 
all, all I'm saying is if you've listened to our podcast today and you feel like you're someone who has maybe a poor relationship with food and would just like some initial support, then of course we are always there to support you. However, if it's out of our scope, then we would definitely advise you to seek some further professional help through the NHS, through private practices, but we can help and give you that advice as well. But it really will help you, I promise. And I think if you can have someone supporting you by your side, it makes a huge difference to your journey. Yeah, thank you so much, Harriet. I think that's pretty much everything we kind of wanted to cover. We've covered a lot, uh, but I'm super happy with this. Like, it's it's so good to talk about. And thank you so, so, so much for opening up on this because it is challenging to talk about, uh, you know, it's and it's not kind of, you know, your typical nutrition pod. I think we've kind of had a bit more of a general chit chat, which has been really lovely. But is there anything you kind of want to add to close off? Just that it's going to be a hard process. Like it will be really hard. And as I said beforehand, like you will have some really hard times, challenging times. You'll feel like you're failing. You're not failing. You're just becoming a better person by learning more about yourself. So yeah, please do trust that process. Have people around you who can support you and love you. And yeah, if you need any help whatsoever, feel free to reach out to myself or Chloe and we can help guide you in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. We are here for, you know, we are open doors, etc. So come and talk to us anytime. Uh, but yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening. For more info on our programs and plans, please head to phnutrition.co.uk and our Instagram is at ph underscore nutrition. You can find uh, me at the Female Performance Project. And Harriet also posts on there as well, which is great. And then Harriet, what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is harrietrenkin.nutrition. And you can work with both of us on the six-week programs at PH and come find us at the Female Performance Project as well. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 